the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In case you folks haven't noticed, there are a lot of suspects in the D.B. Cooper skyjacking. Some suspects are better than others, some come and go, but there are some names that keep popping up when you research D.B. Cooper. One of those names is John List. John List is a name you may have heard before, especially if you really love true crime. I won't tell you anything else because our guest today can tell you all about him. In this episode, I'm honored to be joined by Joe Sharkey. Joe is a Vietnam veteran, spent 20 years writing for the New York Times. He's a professor and author of five books. One of those books is Death Sentence, the inside story of the John List murders. Joe and I get into why John List is and isn't a good fit for D.B. Cooper, and I had a really good time talking to him. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Joe Sharkey. Joe, would you mind telling us who John List is? Who John List was? Who John List was, yes. That's a better yeah, way to put uh, it. Well, John List was uh, a, uh, an accountant uh, by, by trade. He was a World War II veteran. He went in toward the end of World War II. After the war, he met a woman uh, in, in, in Michigan where he had grown up and married her. He grew up in a very religious, strict household, a religious uh, uh, part of the Lutheran Church called the Evangelistic Lutheran Church. That's, that was always extremely important to him. At any rate, when he got married, uh, he, he was sort of a go-getter, except he, he, he constantly washed out of jobs. He had a degree uh, from... University of Michigan. Uh, he went to, I think the first job he had of any import was Xerox in the early days of Xerox. And he, he sort of, he was typically, he went into a job and he was fine for a couple of years. And then everybody decided he couldn't, uh, couldn't keep up. And also people didn't like the guy. He was, he was sort of, um, he was a mama's boy. He was, he was kind of snippy. If, if you know what I mean, he was, uh, he wasn't pleasant. Uh, some people liked him, but not very many people liked him. Uh, his wife was much livelier than, than he was. She, her name was Helen List, and she, uh, she liked to go out and drink, and she flirted, and he always sort of uh, had a hard time accepting that. At any rate, uh, John List went through uh, his early adulthood as a married man, had three kids with Helen, and... Uh, in the late 1960s, John Helen and John's mother, uh, who was then in her 80s, moved to Westfield, New Jersey, which is sort of a very pleasant uh, suburban, upscale suburban town, oh, right across the river, not not far from New York, an easy train ride into New York. Um, John and Helen, uh, as well, they were both very acquisitive, and they lived 
they tended to live beyond their means, and they settled on a house in Westfield. Westfield has a lot of old mansions, uh, and they settled on one that was available at a pretty good price. And it was, uh, I think it was 17 rooms. It was, a, you know, it was a really substantial house. It needed a lot of work, but to them, that was their, you know, that was what they wanted to show the world that they were living in. Uh, it had a ballroom. It had uh, beautiful uh, chandeliers, and uh, that's what they bought and moved in with the mother. The mother was the one who put the money up for the house for the down payment. She lived in a, um, an apartment upstairs, and John and his three children, John. Helen and his three children, there were two boys who were teenagers and a girl who was 16. Her name was Patty. Uh, they, went to, they, they went to school. The kids went to school in Westfield, a really high-class, uh, a high-achieving a high um, high school. And Patty, who was now in her, you know, her mid-teens, uh, a lively girl who really was likable. Everybody likes Patty. Uh, a sweet kid. She got involved with the... Uh, school and the community acting uh, club and she patty decided that she wanted to be in the theater and john being sort of extremely prudish and uh, judgmental about these things uh, very very uh, conservative i don't mean to bring religion too much into this because john was just a prig if you know what i mean he uh, very much objected to patty being uh, uh, enthusiastic about the theater at the same time, remember this is now uh, we're now up in the uh, we're now at the beginning of 1970. The Vietnam War is raging, and John was a an arch conservative. Uh, he considered himself a combat veteran, but as when I looked into his uh, record, he didn't have much combat experience. He, he made a big deal of it, and he later claimed PTSD. But I, I just didn't buy that myself. At any rate. Um, Patty was involved as, as young kids were, young people were, uh, you know, peripherally in anti-war protests. Patty was, uh, you know, she had a peace symbol on her T-shirt. And John just thought this was horrible. He just thought this was uh, shocking. And, and that, to me, was always one of the things that triggered John List's rampage was the daughter. Uh, she was, I, I mean, I, I knew a lot. I checked into her life and knew a lot of, about it from her friends. She wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't a wild kid. She was, I don't think she was sexually involved. She had a boyfriend, but uh, she was, she was, a, you know, a, a conservative kid. Uh, the wife was ill, and the wife, uh, Helen, uh, was increasingly bedridden, and, and John simmered and simmered about this, and uh, the, the, he lost his job because, once again, he had a job at a bank in New, in New Jersey, once again, people didn't like him. His, his bosses didn't like him, and he, he sort of like he was let go from that. But he didn't let any, he didn't tell anybody that he was unemployed, and he did uh, what I thought was a really strange thing. He always wore a coat and tie, often with a suit, and he would in the morning get up, put on his uh, suit with a tie, and make his way either to the train station in Westfield, uh, where he often spent the entire day until it was time to come home. Or he would go into New York and, and sort of wander around New York. I, th I think he hit uh, Times Square porno parlors, uh, but that that really didn't come out very clearly in the uh, in the in the uh, afterwards. Um, it wouldn't I'm surprise sure me that, if he did. Yeah, that's exactly right. He was just exactly the type who would. That's where he would. That was where he would gravitate. At any rate, that's what he did. Uh, the debts are piling up. 
there is a foreclosure uh, move by the bank on the house. Uh, he uh, he planned this for. He decided he was going to kill his family. He planned it for a while. Uh, John List was not a particularly uh, bright. I mean, he was. He appeared to be bright, but he he was not all that bright, Darren, in my opinion. And I'm sort of an outlier on on some of this stuff, but I researched it very well. I've heard you he, say that before. If we could stop for just one second, I've heard yeah. you kind of say that in another interview that you don't want to refer to him as an intelligent man. What's your hesitation in that? Well, okay. Here's the the hesitation is that that's what people said. He couldn't uh, adjust to uh, innovations in the workplace. He uh, he read he read newspapers definitely, and he considered himself uh, an intellectual. But I, I just never he was such a liar. I never I never bought that. And his well laid plan, and you'll see other accounts of the John List story, in which he has this brilliant well laid plan. And I I just didn't see that. What I saw was a guy who. Uh, he put some things in place so that he could, number one, massacre his family. He had a gun uh, that he'd had before in, in the basement of the house. And number two, so that he could escape. And here's where I think a lot of the uh, uh, misimpressions about John List come in. He 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 did mass- massacre his family, and I'll get to that in a minute. But his escape was not all that well planned. <laughs> you know? And I'm, I'm the one, I'm again an outlier on this. Uh, you know, the police, the local cops made a real big deal of uh, how they searched hard for him and how, the, you know, there was a national uh, dragnet on John List. But there were there were places that you should have looked for John List immediately, and they didn't, and the FBI didn't as well. At any rate, we're now in November of 1971. Uh, he's really upset about Patty, the 16-year-old girl. She's in a play. She's in a... Little Abner, I think the high school play was, or the uh, the community play, and she uh, she plays the the bombastic uh, uh, girl in in Little Abner, whose name I forget, uh, and she you know she's on the stage in a bathing suit. Uh, it, actually, I, you know the picture shows it's a very modest bathing suit, but he really he really flipped over that, and he had found a Ouija board in her room, and he decided that she was a Satanist. You know, something a Ouija board that kids played with. I don't know if they still do, but they did in the 70s. <laughs> right? So she's a Satanist, right? She's nothing of the sort. She's just a kid. <laughs> so he, he then he sets this plan, okay? And he he, dra- he carefully drains his mother's account. Uh, his mother had a good, a good chunk of, of money in the bank, but he had been steadily draining it, and he drained the last of it. So he's got a couple of thousand bucks. Uh, he had the... Uh, uh, he had the right to use his mother's account. How long do you believe he had been planning this for? Oh, probably, I think over the, well, the mother always, you know, gave him money when he needed money, but I think he'd been steadily draining it for about a year because he was in debt. He was, he was unemployed and, uh, you know, and the mother didn't have any, the mother didn't really keep track of the account. He was known as somebody that could come into the bank and, 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 uh, take money out of the mother's account. At any rate, he has a couple of thousand bucks, right? Which is not a lot of money, to, you know, even in 1971 to uh, escape and, and start a new life. But anyway, that's what he's got. He then lays this plan after uh, a Halloween party that Patty and her friend, uh, a girl, were, were dressed as witches. This, this, again, convinces John Lewis that the girl is a, a Satanist and is 
involved with all sorts of nefarious activities, which he's not. Uh, he decides that he's going to massacre the family. Uh, he was going to do it on All Saints Day, which is right after Halloween. But then uh, for some reason, he decided that wasn't appropriate and he waited another week. Now, here's where, again, I am really an outlier on this one, but I know I'm right on this. Uh, John List, he, he did massacre the family one by one on the morning of November November 9th, I think it was. Yeah, uh, November 9th. November 9th. Uh, the, uh, the, the girl comes home first from school. It's a snowy day. Uh, she comes home because school got out early or she, she didn't feel well. She comes in and he's waiting. He's lying. He's standing and wait. No, I'm sorry. I, I got the chronology wrong. First, he mur- murders the wife. She comes down. The kids have gone off to school. She goes down in the morning uh, for her coffee. He um, comes up behind her with a gun and boom, he blows her away. So she and he drags her uh, down a hallway into a ballroom. This house actually had a uh, an old 19, uh, almost Victorian era ballroom. It was in very, it was not in use, obviously. It had no furniture. But anyway, he drags her into this ballroom and leaves her in front of the fireplace on a sleeping uh, a sleeping bag. He had a couple of Boy Scout sleeping bags in the in the basement. Uh, he then makes <laughs> breakfast and calmly. Uh, uh, I guess he reads the paper. I mean, you know, he, he, he starts to compose a letter to his beloved pastor explaining what he's about to do and what he's done and what he's about to do. Patty comes home early afternoon. She's not feeling well uh, from school. He's, uh, he, he sees her get, getting out of a, she gets a ride from school. He sees her getting out of a car. He hurries to the, uh, to the kitchen door uh, with his gun and she comes in. Boom, he, he kills her. He shoots her. He drags poor Patty uh, into the ballroom on another sleeping bag, places her uh, next to her mother. Uh, the two boys come home at separate times. Boom, boom. Uh, same thing. He, he shoots them in the head. Uh, one of the boys fought, but uh, he, he didn't win. Uh, he drags them into the ballroom. Meanwhile, in the morning, after he shot the wife, uh, the, the mother is upstairs. There's a big house, and the mother's in, in the upstairs part of the house she yells out across the balcony john is you know everything all right i hear a noise he decides that uh, uh he'd already decided he's going to kill her but so he goes up and uh confronts the mother tells her it was a a, a car backfire uh and boom he shoots her and he leaves her in her apartment on the, the third floor of the house later he explains that uh he had to kill his mother to prevent her from being upset over, over what he'd just done. <laughs> I hate to, I hate to make this, you know, I hate to laugh at that, but it's like, gee, this guy is really an amazing, amazing audacity. So now you have, he's got uh, the wife, the daughter, and uh, the two boys dead uh, on uh, sleeping bags and one on a blanket in the ballroom, which is which is dimly lit. And uh, he, he arranges the bodies, and um, the police made a big deal of this, and I'm, I'm not sure I, w- I, I didn't, but he does arrange the bodies in what you could argue was the form of a cross, leaves them in the, uh, on the, in the uh, floor of the ballroom. He leaves the mother upstairs because he says later she was uh, too heavy to carry down. He, he then uh, uh, he makes himself dinner. He writes a le- He finishes the letter to the pastor, in which he claims, 
It's a long and sort of self-pitying letter. It claims that uh, he had to uh, he had to mass he had to uh, kill the family uh, in order for them to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, what a sport! Yeah, and, of course. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, and uh, uh, he does mention that the the, the daughter was uh, drifting away from uh, the church. Uh, she she had long drifted away from the church. Uh, place like a lot of kids did, um, and she was interested in the theater. He mentions that uh, the debts were piling up, and this was the best solution he could come up with. And he, he it's a five-page letter, handwritten, that he leaves on the kitchen table. He then goes and has himself a good night's sleep in the in the, uh, the mansion with the dead bodies in it. Gets up the next morning, makes himself breakfast. Of course, he always made sure he had a, a nice hearty breakfast. And uh, puts on his suit and tie. Uh, he has a duffel bag uh, with his, with enough stuff to carry him along for a, a while. And uh, he leaves the house. And uh, he gets into the car, which is which is sort of a, a beat up car, and drives it to. It's now a very very cold day, by the way. Drives it to Kennedy Airport, and he, which is probably a hours drive from Westfield, New Jersey through New York traffic in the morning. He leaves the car at Kennedy airport and he leaves his, uh, he leaves the keys and some identification in the car so that when they find it, they'll know it was him. And they, and the, when they find it, the police, they will presume that he got on an airplane and flew the coop, so to speak. He then goes from Kennedy, he gets a bus and he goes to the Port Authority of New York, bus station in midtown manhattan and he gets on a bus and that's that's the extent of his brilliant plan off he goes into thin air now weirdly enough he disappears for 18 years and that's astonishing uh and the the police are you know at, at a loss uh they they don't find the bodies for almost a month because the uh list had made had made some phone calls telling the schools that the kids were going to go away for a while because there was a relative who, who was extremely sick and dying. And I think it was North Carolina. So he sets up this kind of weak alibi that the kids would be out of school for a while. Um, you tell somebody at the bank that mother uh, will be uh, out of town on because a relative is dying. And a month, you know, that that's a long time for uh, kids to be missing in a town like Westfield. I mean, where people, you know, know what other, people are up to so at this time and here's where i'm really uh good on 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 this story and and i don't think anybody else really understood this part of it the kids in the high school drama class patty's friends uh they a week goes by and they're like well okay that she she had to go out of town but nobody hears from her and patty stayed in touch with her friends and the kids are starting to get worried and the the, the coach of the drama club uh, a sort of excitable guy uh, named Ed Iliano, the former uh, uh, regional opera singer and a, a guy who's very, very much involved in, in teaching kids about theater and putting on the local productions. Uh, he's worried. Uh, he's very worried. He's got a, a strange relationship with Patty, who he was obsessed with Patty because she was such a nice kid and she had talent. And as I got to know Ed later, I realized that he was guilty about the relationship he had with her, although I do not in any way believe that it was sexual. 
I think he was just he was just too close to her, and it bothered him for the rest of his life. He uh, he approaches the cops. A couple of weeks have now gone by, and he says, "Look, there's," a, but he's very nervous, right? Because uh, he, he's just as, as nervous about this kid. Uh, there's something wrong here. The, the whole family is missing. Uh, there's a tr- there should be a truancy check on her. Uh, the cops, okay. So the cops send somebody out to the house. The house is, uh, uh, locked up. Of course. Um, I think there were still some lights burning, but the cops have a look around as, as cops will. And they ascertain that nothing appears to be wrong. So I think quite reasonably the cops come back and the, uh, they tell Ed, no, everything seems to be fine. And that's where, it lo- that's where it's left. But the kids are still, the high school kids are still increasingly worried. And here's where it gets really weird, in my opinion. The, not only in my opinion, it just gets weird. Uh, the kids tell Ed, the drama school coach, we're going to go into the house. We're going to go up to the house and we're going to investigate. He says, no, no, do that. But the kids, because some of the kids do that. Uh, they rattle the doors and they're, all right, uh, they're, they're, they can hear inside, they can hear music playing. But it's clear that uh, nobody is in the house. Uh, so they come back and they brood for a while, along with Ed, who's brooding with them. And then one night in December, it's I guess 28 days after List has disappeared, has killed the family and disappeared, the kids impulsively go to the house. They say, "Oh, the heck with it! We're going to find. We're going to find out. Nobody's going to. Nobody's doing anything. The school's not doing anything." Uh, it's enough time, and they break into the house, which is easy enough to break into the back. Uh, the back shed door was the the back uh, mudroom door was was, was loose. Uh, they, now we have some teenage kids uh, in a darkened house. The house uh, Lest had made sure to turn the thermostat way down in the house uh, in a darkened house in which there is music playing because List had turned on the New York classical music station. Uh, which was the New York Times classical music station. He turned that on, and uh, they there were uh, intercoms throughout the house, and he had that playing. So the kids are in this dark house with music playing, and uh, they they proceed very nervously uh, to look around. It looks okay, but then one of them goes in the ballroom and with a with a flashlight sees the bodies, and the the, the kids are just horrified. Uh, they don't know what to do. Uh, they flee because number one, they're aware they're kids, you know, and they're they're good kids, and they're aware. Number one, they've broken into a house. They've broken and entered. And uh, number two, they don't know what happened here, so they they flee and they tell the drama uh, their drama club coach uh, that they found bodies in the house, and that Patty was one of them. So I think it's two days later, or maybe a night later. He decides that he's going to go up himself and force this issue. He does with some some of the kids, and he makes a. Uh, it, it's at night, and uh, Ed Iliano, the drama uh, coach, makes a big uh, scene at, about going into the house. Uh, he he goes in. He finds, to his utter horror, uh, the bodies are there, just the kids, as the kids said. And he then makes a great clamor so that the neighbors are aware. Uh, that there's there's been activity at the house. The neighbors call the cops. The cops arrive, and um, and and they come in with Ed leading the way. By the way, and 
the cops uh, find the body. Now here is where it got pretty interesting here because you got an intruder who's who's leading the cops into the house. So you've got a crime scene that is arguably the, the, the crime scene is not pure yet. It's not pure. Uh, the cops then, and here's the Westfield police were lionized in some of the accounts. But if you look at what happened, the Westfield cops go, you know, they're, they're, they go charging into the house, uh, uh, fighting the bodies. Yeah. Uh, photos are being taken. Uh, somehow uh, a local reporter is onto it. And uh, when it goes out on the police scanner, uh, more of the media show up and you've got yourself a really a, a bad scene. Uh, the cops find the letter that, that John List has written, and eventually they, you know, they they calm down the uh, the crime scene, and um, the the story now is uh, mild mannered accountant massacres family of uh, three children, wife and, and mother, and disappears because it's now been 28 days since John List disappeared into thin air, and that became the story. That that's that was sort of the way it stayed for. 18 years, John List mysteriously disappeared uh, after this this uh, horrible crime that he had c- confessed to in the letters. So we knew we know who did it. The uh, Westfield being the kind of town where, like any small town, medium sized town, uh, people talk. There are rumors. There's uh, lots of gossip, and you know, of course, uh, uh, because uh, because of the uh, at the time there was such. Uh, commotion about Satanism uh, that uh, some of the uh, some of the rumors were that Satanists had uh, had broken into the house and uh, and somehow had uh, had killed the killed the family and John List somehow was murdered and taken out. So it's kind of crazy stuff that just got kicked around and uh, all this a lot of time has gone by now and uh, nobody knows where John List is. Where the Dickens did this guy go? So here, here we now. Here's where I think D.B. Cooper enters into it because, uh, as you as you well know, D.B. Cooper is in the news. Oh, 15 days after John List murders his family. Okay, there are similarities here because we know there's a lot of weird things about John List uh, that, uh, as you know, the reporters talk to uh, neighbors and <laughs> Westfield. One of them is that John List is always in a suit and a coat and tie, often in a full suit and tie, a blue suit and a, a, a coat and, you know, and a blue tie. Uh, even when he mows his lawn, that's a, that's a well-known thing about John List who's considered very weird by his neighbors. Phoebe Cooper is, uh, described as a guy wearing a suit and tie as when he goes to uh, hijack this Northwest Orient airplane. Uh, the police have a, a, a picture of John List that's, that's relatively recent uh, that they put on the wanted flyers. And if you look at the sketch artist drawing of, of uh, Dan Cooper, you look, there's a great similarity between the two. They're middle-aged guys. Uh, and their faces are very similar. Their hair uh, hairline is similar. You, I mean, you can make the you can make a guess that no, oh, maybe maybe there's a connection here. Also, uh, the murders took place on November 9th, and the hijacking right. took place on November 24th of the same yeah. year. Yeah, that's right. On the same, not very long after, 
when it was known that John List, of course, was on the lam, he was missing. Where's John List? Well, I mean, look at this. John List may have somehow found his way to uh, Portland, Oregon, and and hijacked the plane and, and parachuted out at 10,000 feet into the into the wilds near Mount St. Helens. Uh, you know, an assumption worth running down. Um, but nobody has any any other information. Uh, I mean, realistically, John List was known that he, he was a schlub. Uh, he, he didn't have any aeronautical experience as, as D.B. Cooper uh, certainly had. Uh, he was not the kind of guy to be, to be jumping out of an airplane, uh, although he was a guy that certainly could use 200,000 bucks. So anyway, there's that. Eventually, List is ruled out as, as, a, uh, uh, as being D.B. Cooper. And when uh, he was finally asked about it 18 years later after he was captured, he sort of chuckled at the idea that that would have been him. Where List actually went uh, was he got on this bus in, in uh, Midtown, New York, and he went to uh, he went first to Michigan, uh, and then he went directly to Denver, Colorado, where he he did something that you could do in 1971 that you could never do today, and that was he carefully and it was easy enough to do created a new identity. Now. You can you could have done that then, but it seems to me that even then the cops should have put together that you could only do that then in a big city, a relatively big city, and it was probably likely that if you were creating a new identity, you did it in a place where a lot of uh, outsiders were coming, uh, a lot of people were moving in from elsewhere in the country. Denver is is one of those. I mean, there are other places, Phoenix, et cetera. Uh, Denver is one of those places, and you had enough background on John List, his his well-known obsession almost with with this particular branch of the church, that you could assume that he would uh, would turn up in in one of those churches. And, you know, it's not a very big uh, number of church of, of that particular branch of the Lutheran church. So, I mean, you could have, theoretically, that would have been where you might look for John, John List. There was also at the time, though, remember, it's the, the height of the Vietnam War. There was a lot of commotion about the FBI, the FBI surveillance of uh, uh, um, churches were involved in some, in some of the, as, as, as being surveilled by the FBI. So there was a reluctance to look into, you know, a pretty obvious place, which would be churches. Uh, and uh, I, I just think, the, the FBI notwithstanding, I just think that the, the, uh, uh, cops in Westfield, New Jersey, really blew that that case. There were, you know, first of all, they should have they should have been on the on the scene long before um, 28 days after the after the massacres. And uh, you know, afterwards, they they didn't really it wasn't really good. They they uh, they polluted the crime scene, and it wasn't really good police work. So it just left everything up in the air, so to speak, <laughs> for a very long time. John List is out now in. In Denver, where his brilliant plan is, he you know he has a little bit of money, but it's not very much. He he rents a a, a trailer, a little trailer. He buys it actually, a little trailer, uh, in a in a trailer park beside the interstate, beside a Holiday Inn, in uh, Golden, Colorado, very near Denver. Well, uh, in Golden, and, that trailer right now would be worth three hundred thousand. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> at the time you could you know you could do that you there you could rent a tra- and you know not too many it, it was still uh, you know it was a place where you could show up uh and there were a lot of people coming in and not, and not just drifters but people who were looking to start a new life <laughs> so you could show up and there wouldn't be a lot of questions asked um uh it was also it, there's also that sort of western courtesy that you know you don't probe too deeply and and uh, so he could, you know, he 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 gets a, a, a trailer, uh, he buys a TV at uh, Kmart or wherever you buy, bought a, TV, a cheap TV then, and uh, he he spies the Holiday Inn, which is the walking distance from the trailer park, and he just says, "Well, I got to I got to get a job," <clears throat> so he he saunters over there, and uh, because he had been cooking meals for the family that he murdered. Uh, because the wife was was ill and bedridden, he uh, he talks himself into a job in the kitchen of the uh, the Holiday Inn, where he is befriended by the the chef, uh, who actually likes him, and he's also befriended by a, a sort of a cowboy who'd been who who drifted in and out of Denver, who who really uh, decides that John List is okay, so he and the cowboy have uh, form a an unlikely relationship as friends of the cowboy uh, sort of, you know, lets him know more of the ways of the West. At any rate, John List has, uh, he, he gets a, uh, it's easy, it was easy enough to get a social security card. And once you had that, you could, you could, uh, you got a phone. And once you had a couple of records, you could, you know, you could establish yourself in a new identity. And he's now calling himself Robert Clark. Uh <clears throat> Uh, widower who uh, came to Denver to start a new life. Uh, he he joins exactly the same branch of the church uh, because that was a huge part of his life. He's accepted there, of course, with uh, without any questions, which would, which would make a lot of sense. Um, at the church, after a couple of months, he meets a divorced woman who's very meek, named Dolores. And in a while, he marries he marries Dolores, who knows nothing. All she knows is about is that he's a, a widower, and his wife died tragically, which was certainly true. <laughs> and he he he, uh, he he hooks up with poor Dolores, uh, and they move together to a condominium in Denver, and live uh, more or less happily ever after. But uh, poor Dolores is stuck with. John List, who behaves exactly like the John List in in uh, Westfield, uh, uh, New Jersey, uh, he's a he's a he's a, a it's prickly. He's a he's fussy. He's cheap. He, he's he's wheedling. Um, but you know, this is uh, this is what Dolores has has uh, signed up for. And years go by, and he just he's living pretty much the same as he did as he did in Westfield, but Dolores uh, is working. I forget what Dolores did. Uh, and John finds a job as an accountant. Uh, he, he moonlights at uh, tax period time with a uh, tax preparing company. And, you know, they just sort of roll along uh, in a, a very sort of boring uh, life in a condominium in, you know, in, in Denver. He's in church. He's in the same church as, as Dolores, and that's where they are. <laughs> so a lot of years have now passed, and John List occasionally, because on the anniversary of the the killing in Westfield, he uh, he's taken to you know checking the uh, the uh, news the Denver newspapers, which then had a lot of uh, 
national news in them. And, he, you know, year, years and years go by, and he sees no indication that anybody is on to him. Uh, there are the, the typical anniversary stories, you know, X number of years have passed, and John List is still on the on the lamb. Uh, but it really kind of fades away. I mean, it's a, it's a long time, uh, 18 years. I guess by year 15, uh, there happened to be a neighbor in this condominium. And uh, one of my favorite characters in, in my book is uh, a, a neighbor named Wanda Flannery. And uh, she's, uh, she's, she makes friends with her next-door neighbor, Dolores Clark, who now uh, Bob Clark's wife. Uh, but she's very, she doesn't like Bob Clark, uh, John List, uh, and she's just, she, she can't put her finger on it, but she doesn't like the guy. He, uh, uh, he, and he just gives off the wrong vibe to her. And one day in, 19, uh, in uh, 1989, she, was a, she had a habit of, going to the supermarket and buying uh, supermarket tabloid newspapers, which she told me she did because she just, she just thought they were amusing. Uh, and she happened to be reading, sitting at her kitchen table, reading the weekly world news, which was then one of the, you know, the more sensational uh, tabloid weekly tabloid newspapers, you know, the kind with the aliens from outer space on the cover, <laughs> but she sees on like page 17, there's a routine anniversary story. Whatever happened to John List? Uh, you know, we're now uh, coming up on the anniversary. And it's just a routine story. That uh, Here's a recap of what happened, and John List has, has uh, disappeared into thin air. And there's a photo of John List, the same photo that's on the, uh, on the Wanted posters. And Dolores, who doesn't like the guy next door, uh, happens to be looking out the kitchen window, and she sees him taking out the trash. And she looks back at the picture in the newspaper, and she says, "Damn, that 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 appears to be the same guy." And the description of him in the newspaper account sort of matched, uh, uh, you know, about his his characteristics. Uh, frequently in a suit and tie, uh, sort of fussy, uh, uh, you know, all the things that were known about John List. She thinks that's the same guy. So, and and she thinks, well, John List's story, uh, Bob Clark's story is that he was a widower and his wife died tragically. So Dolores, who, who does not like Bob Clark to begin with, goes, uh, uh, Wanda, who doesn't like Bob Clark to begin with, goes over to her friend uh, Dolores. Bob is out of the house at this time. And she says, Dolores, honey, I think you should read this newspaper because I think this guy is your husband. And Dolores, who's a very, very meek and very anxious uh, reluctantly reads the paper, and Dolores is horrified, but she rejects it immediately. And Wanda says, okay, I'm really sorry to have troubled you, and Wanda goes back to her house. And that's where it, that's where it lay for not too long, because at the same time, some of the uh, more um, enthusiastic young uh, cops in the Westfield Police Department were of course, John List is already a legend, and he's the cold case of all cold cases in Westfield, a town where the, which has had very few violent crimes, uh, have decided that they're going to go to this TV show called um, America's Most Wanted, which I think was then becoming very well known. And they do try to approach America's Most Wanted, but they get rebuffed because 
the, the case is too old. There's no indication that anybody's going to find John List. But they keep pressing. To their great credit, they keep pressing on it. And finally, they, they, uh, I, they, I think they go to New York, as I recall, and they, they just barge in on, on an America's Most Wanted head producer and, and say, you've got to do this case because uh, uh, it's, it's fascinating and look at, all, look at all the elements of it. Um, the, the America Most Wanted people are like, ah, I don't know. But they, finally they decide uh, they'll do it. And they they do a good job, you know, uh, re, uh, recapping John List's life. Uh, they hire a uh, forensic sculpt, sculptor, somebody who does police forensic sculpt, uh, sculptures um, from Philadelphia, to use old photos of John List and to imagine uh, to, to create a bust that looks like John that would look like what they think John List would look like 18, 20 years later. Uh, you know, with the eyeglasses and everything. And he does that. And I would uh, recommend right now, anyone listening to this, go look up that sculpture that was made. Because the guy yeah, just guesses what type of glasses he would have, what how he would wear his hair, how he looked. And he got yeah. it dead on. He was one of the one of the best-known police forensic sculptors. And he kind of got it. Uh, I mean, you look at it now, and you look at a picture of John List when he was arrested. <coughs> and it's pretty close. I mean... You know, that looks like John List. However, Wanda, <coughs> who has been, you know, she's been paying attention to this. She knows to watch this TV show. Wanda decides that sculpture doesn't look like John List, doesn't look like Bob Clark at all. Uh, I don't know what it was about the, the sculpture that turned Wanda off, but she decided, no, I'm just a meddlesome old lady, and I have to, I have to just keep quiet. But there's a, there's a telephone number on America's Most Wanted on you know where you call if you uh, if you know John, where John List is, and of course that number attracts all kinds of uh, false reports and and anybody uh, who re- looks remote, remotely like John List anywhere in the country uh, has a problem because he's being fingered as John List. But uh, you know the cops get dozens of tips, uh, but they get one the one from Wanda. Uh, they decide this one's worth checking out because. She gives details and she gives an address of where um, Bob Clark lives. So uh, the cops decide, well, all right, this, uh, this is uh, this is worth zeroing in on. We'll notify the FBI. Meanwhile, John, uh, Bob Clark, and his wife have Bob got a new job in uh, in Virginia, so they've moved across the country. But of course, they have left their forwarding. Uh, Dolores left her forwarding address with uh, with Wanda. Uh, Dolores and and uh, Bob Clark have settled into Midlothian, Virginia, in a, uh, a condominium there. He has a new job at an accounting firm. Uh, again, it's an area that's that's rapidly growing. Uh, it's not terribly difficult to get uh, a job as an accountant, and he he gets one. And so he's working there, and they have uh, uh, you know rebuilt their lives and you know, very quickly in Midlothian, Virginia. Uh, the the tip comes to the FBI district office there, and of course the FBI guys are you know they're they're hard bitten old not not old hard bitten cops and they're like, all right we got to run this down. So among the ones they run down is John List is living at an ex ex address in uh, Midlothian, Virginia. They go there. He's not home. Uh, they go to where he works, and oh, they see this is the guy. So they they collar him right then and there. He denies being John List, but he's got you know he's caught. 
so he is uh, hauled back to New Jersey for trial, uh, still denying that he's John List, but finally, you know, there's no doubt who he is. And uh, he's tried uh, for five counts of murder, convicted on all five counts, and sentenced to five life terms in prison. Off he goes. That's the end of the John List story. It's sort of where I got involved at the point where um, uh, John List was uh, was arrested. And I went to all these places, including to, to Wanda Flattery in, in, in Denver, and sort of re, re, uh, tracked John, uh, John List's life as he, as he uh, sort of uh, rebuilt it in the 18 years he was gone. And I went also to his house in uh, Virginia and spoke briefly with his, his poor wife. I mean, this, this woman just, uh, the world tumbled in on her and she didn't know what in the world to believe. Uh, she denied that he was, it could have been John List, although it was becoming increasingly clear, clear to her, obviously, that he was. She, she is dead now, as are many of the people involved in the story. Um, he's tried, uh, he has a public defender, uh, it seems to me, and it's not a point I argued with any great authority, but it seems to me that a public, that a, a defense of John List in the trial had, there were several things that you could have argued for a mistrial, at least. One of them was the pollution, uh, the disruption of the crime scene. Uh, the other was the fact that, uh, part of that, the fact that the kids and the drama coach had gone into that, had broken into that house and seen the crime scene before anyone else. They, that was not brought up in, in the trial. It was just obliquely uh, mentioned that the, the drama coach had uh, uh, had gone in with the police, not had led the police. And um, obviously, he was guilty and so good. I mean, you know, uh, fair trial notwithstanding, he was he was uh, the guy that massacred his family, and um, he was found guilty. The the news accounts, and at least one of there were several books, including mine. One of the, they all bought into the fact that that he had done this horrible deed out of religious fervor, and I never ever bought that. Um, I knew he was, you know, I knew all about the how religious he was, but the, you know, this was not a cult. This was a mainstream religious uh, organization he belonged to. And they were, you know, in Westfield, New Jersey, they were, uh, they were just part of the community. And they were horrified that they were being, that he was associated with them, even including the pastor. Uh, they had to be pretty careful about, about how they, you know, they were public with this. But my opinion was, and I think it's absolutely correct. John List was greedy. He was greedy all his life. He was a mama's boy. His mother bailed him out all the time. Uh, his father was dead. Uh, it was a strict, strict upbringing. But he was really greedy. He thought the world owed himself a living. And I, you know, I showed this by talking to previous employers and people who knew him, and the, uh, you know, the old cowboy who knew him in Denver and his boss in uh, in the kitchen in Denver. This was a guy who thought the world owed him a living, and he didn't really um, produce. I mean, he 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 had jobs that he that he busted out of because he was such a jerk uh and uh when he got to westfield he still had the attitude that uh that he was a lot uh, a lot more of a, a, a an important fellow than he actually was he was greedy and i thought 
I really believe this. Uh, two things that the daughter brought. Uh, he was he was sexually repressed. John List was <clears throat> the daughter when she came in. Every time she came into the house, she brought the 1960s in with her, and she wasn't overt about it. But he he felt that uh, she brought in uh, uh, feminine sexuality, and that's something that terrified John List. Uh, she brought in the anti-war movement, even though she wasn't part of it. She brought in secularism. She brought in the world when she came into that house. Uh, I think that was the trigger. The wife was was bedridden. He was very uh, angry about the wife's. Uh, he just didn't get along with his wife at this point. I believe that was the trigger that led him to decide this. He he decided, uh, I can do one thing. I can erase all these people from my life. These are baggage, and uh, I can start. An, I can I can leave, and I can see if I start could start a new life somewhere else. I believe that that uh, the daughter was was the main motive that he massacred the family. He later wrote a book in prison, which which angered me no end when I when I found out about it. He hooked up with a uh, sort of a crackpot ex. This sounds weird, but a crackpot ex-CIA agent, a guy who was well-known as a CIA agent, uh, you know, a daring-do CIA agent who had media connections. And he and this CIA agent, who was also a World War II veteran, got together when John was in prison and wrote a self-published book. It's a horrible book. It's got it's filled with typos. But it's a book in which John List basically blames everybody but himself for the, for the massacre of his family. He referred to it as the tragedy, and he referred to the family as collateral damage. And his excuse in the book was, uh, I was suffering from PTSD, and, uh, uh, and my wife was mean to me. <laughs> so, and the book just infuriated me when I write, I'm sorry about you know, I, I still get angry about this this book that that he and this crackpot CIA guy, ex CIA guy, wrote, uh, in which he just whines and and wheedles and and blames everybody for what happened except himself. So I mean, that's that's where I left John List. He's dead. And at the end of the book, I quote uh, uh, Moms Mabley, a famous uh, African American comedian, who had a line uh, in her in her act in which she said. My mother always told me that that you always say good about the dead. And then Mom's uh, mentioned somebody who had died who she didn't like, and she, Mom said, "He's dead. Good." And that's how I ended the book. Yeah, John I did List like how dead. you ended the book that way. <laughs> John List to this day, uh, uh, I'm fascinated by the John List story. What year did your book uh, Death Sentence: The Inside Story of the John List Murders come out? Well, it, it originally came out in hard in, uh, in paperback in 1990, um, and then it was republished with uh, uh, an epilogue that really brings th- things up to date in uh, 2017. So the, uh, the 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 operative edition of that book is is Death Sentence uh, 2017, published by Open Road Media, and I was able to. Uh, go back and do uh, clear up some things from uh, what was that thirty years ago, uh, and also to um, to write a rather uh, lengthy and detailed epilogue in the book, in which that's where Mom's Mabley appears. That's where the CIA guy appears. You know, their their dreadful self published book was one of the reasons you 
added to your book because of that collateral damage book? Do you feel like you well, had to just address because that? He was, because even in prison, after uh, we, we, everybody knew what he did. He knew what he did. He then made all these phony excuses for it. And, you know, I'm a Vietnam veteran. And uh, it annoyed me that, that lists, and I'm well aware of PTSD and the number of my comrades from Vietnam who are suffering severe PTSD um, uh, effects and trauma from uh, physical and, and uh, psychological damage, real, I mean, really wounded veterans. And John List just sort of blithely parading around calling himself, uh, pretending that PTSD was the reason he killed his family, infuriated me in no end. And, and the fact that a CIA guy uh, was helping him do that, it just, it just made me mad. And so that's why that's in the epilogue. Did you ever speak to that CIA or former CIA agent who helped author that book? He's dead. Um, he died. He died before I read the book, <laughs> or I would have tracked him down. <laughs> His name was Austin Goodrich, and he's a real deal. I mean, he was a CIA. He was, you know, he was a uh, a CIA guy back in the time in the fifties uh, and sixties. Did you ever speak to John List? I did uh, briefly when he was on trial, and uh, he was snotty. <laughs> he was. Uh, he thought that uh, that I didn't have any right to ask him any questions. That he he sort of blustered past me. So I I spoke to him briefly, and then he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't speak in prison. He did speak to uh, Connie Chung, I think, in a TV interview, and in, in which she just let him get away with murder. Uh, uh, you know, giving his his pathetic excuses for. Uh, sending the family to heaven, you know, that's just baloney. Uh, but that's the that's the operative interview that's on the record is the Connie Connie Chung one of John List in in prison, and of course the CIA guy. There are two things that really strike me about the John List story, and one of them is the fact that he didn't need to kill his family. In 71, you can just disappear. I mean, how many people have stories where their dad went to get a pack of cigarettes and they never saw him again? That's the cliche, yeah. And so why, why kill your whole family? I, I, that's, that's a key question, Darren. And I believe, uh, and I know enough about uh, the daughter and John List, I believe that, that, was an, uh, that he, he, in a rage, uh, wanted to kill, decided to kill the daughter. Now, explain to me why anybody would be in a murderous rage. I don't know, but I really believe that that partly explains it. Uh, and, of course, the others were, in fact, in his twisted way of looking at it, you know, once he eliminated the daughter and the wife. Now, notice that those are the two, uh, the two sexual, the feminine sexual elements in the house, not, not the mother. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he massacred that, those two both, and the others had to go because, you know, they would have been witnesses. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at that, but it's just a, John List is so perverse in my head. It is. So that's that's my that's my that's how I figure it. And the other thing that strikes me about the the John List case is that he's seems to be emotionless about this. I mean, yeah. he planned it out, so he would be sitting around the table eating dinner with his family who. He knows in the back of his mind, I'm going to kill these people next yep. week. Yep. And, and then he did. To, con- to carry on with his life 
Like yeah, nothing that's happened. That's right. That's exactly the kind of person he was. I forgot to mention, though, he did tell the kids, uh, I guess two weeks before he killed them, he told them, uh, get your conscience clear, say your prayers, because uh, I'm going to kill you. Now, Patty, the girl, uh, the teenage girl, told her, uh, was in a panic, and told her drama coach about that in tears, and he said, oh, don't, parents always say I'm going to kill you to their to their kids, and he kind of blew her off, but she truly believed that the father had made a genuine uh, warning to them that they were um, going to be killed, and I think the, the, the boys did too. Because she was genuinely afraid of him, right? I mean, you had remarked in your book that, you know, he had called her a cheap, she, uh, the jeans she was wearing made her look like a cheap slut, which isn't yeah. something I could see myself saying to my daughter. Well, that's John List. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the reason that people list him as a suspect for the D.B. Cooper hijacking. You know, I think you and I both agree it wasn't John List, but for some reason it remains there. You know, it's on the Wikipedia yeah. page, for example. Well, I mean, the coincidence of the timing is, is gripping. And, when you know, when I, I began to look into this, what was it, 30 years ago, I mean, I thought there's, maybe there's a real case that this guy was D.B. Cooper. Uh, and then, you know, as everybody else did, and yourself included, I'm sure, uh, as you, you sort of poked at this, you realize, no, nah, nah. but it's fascinating because he looks so much like that police sketch of uh, Dan Cooper, uh, suit and tie. I mean, that's the thing. It was like, oh, boy, there's a guy that's in a suit and tie. Uh, who hijacks a plane in a suit and tie? Maybe more people do, but... <laughs> Uh, that what you think of? Um, there was the suit and tie. There was the the, the timing, the, the similarity in the in the the sketch and the photograph, and the fascination with this John List who disappeared into thin air. Like it, it was a reasonable. He was a reasonable uh, uh, suspect, and I I totally understand why why he was being looked at. But of course, we we know we knew pretty quickly that n- number one. Uh, we ascertained uh, when he was arrested that that List had just moved, uh, had, had uh, transferred himself pretty quickly after a long bus ride to uh, to Denver, uh, and you know the, the ev- we could find evidence that he rented this trailer, etc. Uh, the, the List clearly had no, didn't have the kind of uh, experience uh, that that Dan Cooper had to have had. Uh, in, pla- in in executing this, uh, this this parachuting from an airplane, in uh, knowing that the rear uh, the seven twenty seven had a rear door contraption that could be opened in flight, uh, knowing that that uh, uh, as I recall, Cooper mentioned uh, Cooper's very polite as John List overtly was was polite to to, to people in a casual way. Uh, he mentioned to a uh, after he had hijacked the plane. He mentioned to a um, uh, a flight attendant as they were circling uh, Seattle. He looked out the window and he mentioned he said that uh, down there it looks like Tacoma, which of course is right next to Seattle. That an indication that he knew he knew the terrain. Um, he he knew apparently where to uh, where to jump. He knew to tell the plane uh, the pilots to fly it. 10,000 feet at, you know, at a fairly, uh, 
uh, low, you know, they weren't going fast. They were going uh, pretty, pretty slow. Uh, so, I mean, those are things that John List had not a clue about uh, avionics or anything like that. Uh, and had, had, uh, uh, the fact that John List, this meek kind of um, pussy John List would have had the guts to do what, what D.B. Cooper did is, uh, is, you know, in hindsight, you think that's even, that was even, that even silly to think that could have been. Um, I've always been fascinated by the fact that uh, that they found uh, some of the money, <laughs> you know, in uh in the wilds of uh, what was it, Washington State? That uh, yeah, on the shores of the Columbia, on uh, yeah, Tina yeah, Bar, uh, they uh, found fifty-eight hundred yeah. bucks. Yeah, right. And, and and what were apparently marked bills or bills that you could have traced fairly easily, but uh, you know that definitely was not John. We know where John List was at the time, and he was uh, he was working as a as a, uh, a cook's assistant in a Holiday Inn in Golden, Colorado. <laughs> But it would have been a better book had it had it been true. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've I've got this question for you. I figured you could answer. Uh, DB Cooper wore a clip-on tie on the plane. Would John List wear a clip-on tie? Oh yeah, yeah, he'd be the type. Yep. <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> yeah. And then his military experience. There's nothing where he has airborne training or experience no. or anything like that. No. Nope. No, his uh, uh, his army experience was uh, he went to Germany in almost the mop up operation to the very very end of the of, of World War Two. He he later made up some kind of goofy story about being captured, which was just an exaggeration of a fairly routine event. No, he had no he had no significant uh, combat or commando experience or anything. He was just a he was just a uh, uh, he was just a you know. What did what did uh, what's the praise that, uh, that Joe Biden used? He was a, a lion, a lion, two-faced po- dog pony. Oh yeah, pony uh, lion, two-faced dog pony. Yeah, culture. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure John List never got on a pony in his life. And <laughs> DB Cooper was not wearing glasses until after he hands her the stewardess the note. Then he puts on sunglasses. How was John List's sight? John List would not be the sunglass type, but he always he always wore glasses. Uh, and um, <laughs> no, he was definitely not the shades guy. <laughs> People did notice all the time that he that he was in a suit uh, a suit and tie. I mean, where uh, mowing your lawn in a suit and tie will get you talked about by your neighbors, and he was known for that. And I thought it was interesting. You mentioned uh, a coworker talked about when he was living in Colorado. Mm-hmm. That he had a lot of issues with his feet. Yeah, I think that was chronic, like lumbago or whatever it is that you get in your feet. Um, uh, there wasn't any indication that he'd been injured. But again, that was a you know there there you go another indication. Oh, John List had a foot problem, and if you parachute, you know you could have injured your ankle pretty easily. I I once fell out of a helicopter at. Uh, Four feet, and I'm, I still have I still have an angle that hurts from that. <laughs> I didn't have a parachute or anything. It was four feet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, another you know another potential clue that there's your guy. What a what a story that would have been if this. If, but you know, by all the accounts that uh, by what few accounts we have, uh, DB Cooper was was kind of liked, wasn't he, by the the the, uh, the flight attendants. He was. He was they nice they said them. he was nice and polite. Polite, yeah. I think 
John List was not. He, John List was polite when he had to be, but he was not. He would not have been known as a, a as a likable guy. Nobody liked this guy. A couple of people in, in Denver did, but they. Uh, um, I've never quite understood why. He was maybe on his best behavior when he when John List uh, ended up in Denver for a while. I've always thought that the the poor the poor wife he married in in Denver that she was lucky he didn't. She didn't uh, get him too angry, <laughs> given given his record. Yeah, he was already able to pull it off once. He's Why can't he do it, it a second time? <laughs> oh, I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. No, it's understandable. It's a crazy story. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but what what always struck me, Darren, as as the strangest story of all in that, besides the weirdness about John List and his ability to uh, escape into thin air, was the kids, the the drama club kids. All of whom knew uh, that, that uh, uh, they, they knew that something horrible had happened, and knew days in the, before the police arrived that that the kid that that uh, the family had been massacred. How weird is that? That is really weird. Why? Know, why I would know. you sit on that? They were terrified. They, they number one, they had uh, broken and entered. Uh, this was 1971. There was not a lot of trust between young people and and the police. Uh, this was a, a relatively small town police department. Uh, I, I think it was a pretty good uh, police, not a bad police department. Um, I kind of get that, uh, although it's weird. I mean, if it were me, I would. The first thing I would have done would, would have been go tell. <laughs> Look what I found. <laughs> but I'm a reporter. And I like that. Uh, I think it was Jean, one of the two Jeans. Uh, when, when you spoke to her, she thought it was laughable that. John could pull off the D.B. Cooper caper. Yeah, because if you, if you knew him, it was like that, 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 you know, on the surface, there were there were great similarities. But if you knew John List, it was like, nah, he's not going to jump out of any airplane. <laughs> you know, he was he was a, he was craven. You know, when he shot his family, he, they didn't they didn't even see him coming. You know, uh, he was not known for bravery. He tried to make it like later on in this horrible book that I mentioned. He tried to make it like he had some kind of a brave combat experience, but I checked his records and I went over it carefully, and he did not. And I'm a veteran, so that's that's another reason why I'm a little steamed at John List to this very day. I like that. I like that you're angry at John List. I it, it's been a long time, and I still am. You've triggered me now. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> well, let's get let's get off John List, and do you mind answering some uh, John List? <laughs> Well, let's let's get off the John List topic. Do you mind answering some D.B. Cooper questions? Sure. I don't know very much about him, though. Do you think D.B. Cooper survived the jump? Oh, what a good question. I, now, I have no authority whatsoever on this except, uh, you know, kibitz, kibitzing. Uh, you know, the thing that throws me into, into saying no is that some of the money was found. <clears throat> um, I can see where, I mean, Cooper obviously had... Uh, some ex- some experience. He might have been ex-military. You know, it's a good guess. He knew about the airplane. He knew about how to fly it. Uh, he, he knew about parachuting. He, what did he order? Four parachutes, two two real ones and two two backup ones, and he left two on the plane. But um, he, so he he knew. You know, he didn't jump impulsively with no idea of how to parachute. Well, you know, you don't do that unless somebody gives you a lesson or two. Um, so he did that. Could he have? I mean, it was it was winter, right? Yeah, um, it was November. Yeah, but you know, Portland. There, some guys can you know, rough and tough uh, 
guys that they, they can do it. They can maybe escape on foot. But you know, I was bothered. Uh, you know, I'm just the, the fact that some of the money was found just indicates something. But why wasn't all the money found? So who knows? You know, it, it's uh, it's a, it, to this day that's a fascinating story, and also a story that you know back in the days of hijacking. This was before, you know, uh, hijack. We think of, we tend to think of hijacking as uh, 9/11, but back in those days, hijacking was often. Uh, you, you didn't have hijackers as a rule who were as polite and gentlemanly as D.B. Cooper, but generally, hijacking was was not done to kill the the passengers. Uh, passengers, by and large, were were left off the plane or were 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 not harmed while the, while the hijacker. Uh, went to often it was Cuba uh you know there was no blowing up of planes until Antibes uh so you know I'm, I'm struck by the fact that that D.B. Cooper seemed to he seemed to be not only congenial but uh thoughtful you know <laughs> I think I read that he paid for the drinks yeah paid for the drinks yeah, he tried to the leave drinks. a tip what a guy tried to leave a tip right <laughs> and then the flight attendant courteously does not take the tip you know i'm thinking like well that's that's sort of just that's cordiality in the air it, yeah it and he asked for <laughs> yeah he asked for crews or i'm not crews he asked for meals to be delivered to the crew because the know, event right? was taking so long he thought about them so that ain't john list darren that just ain't john list <laughs> <laughs> just that alone <laughs> all right joe so you have to bet on it does he survive the jump if I had to guess, I'd say yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it makes it an even better story because maybe he's still alive. Although he'd be pretty old, wouldn't he? He would be old. He'd be late eighties or nineties at yeah, this you point. Could, it's, it still could happen. If he's in his late eighties, he's got a tale to tell, and he hasn't told it, <laughs> so he'll take it to his grave. Well, if he would like to tell it, and you're listening, feel free to come on this show. Uh- <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you let me know if you crack the case. Because oh, I know that well. you're working hard. You've been working hard on it. You've got all the information. And it's just like, what? A, that's, a, that's an even more interesting story than John List himself. What a mystery. Do you think that D.B. Cooper's bomb was real? Well, they saw the sticks. No. Uh, because uh, if you know anything about dynamite, you don't screw around with, what was it, eight sticks of dynamite? You don't do that. And he would have been smart enough to know that. It was probably not, you know. And, and there was no indication that he was going to blow up an airplane. Yeah, I agree. I think most everyone believes that the bomb isn't real. There's What reason yeah, would there yeah. be to have a real bomb? Well, he was a nice guy. Why would he have a real bomb? And why would he be carrying dynamite, which is dangerous? You know? Right. It's impolite <laughs> to carry a bomb. It's impolite. It's not courteous. <laughs> <laughs> he was courteous. That's a clue. Find a, The guy is going to be courteous when you find him. <laughs> He's going to be old and courteous. He won't blow you up. What do you think of the fact that in the D.B. Cooper case, there are two different sketches that have been circulated around, and and they look different? Mm. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, sketch artists uh, interview people, and then they, you know, they sort of they they sort of uh, just wing it. <laughs> so I, whoever the flight attendants, basically flight attendants who had the had the eye on him, uh, had the eyeballs on him. And, uh, and I think there's probably competing sketch artists, you know, it's, it's probably a very competitive business. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the uh, sculptor. 
Why do you think the D.B. Cooper case is still unsolved? Well, it's still on. Uns- First of all, he uh, he was cl- he was very clever about it. He uh, he did the deed in the in the in the dead of night in uh, really rough uh, mountainous terrain. Um, you know, a place where you could you could if you were if you were in good shape and lucky, you could definitely you know get get by. Uh, there weren't there weren't a lot of cops who were, would have been in the area. Then aerial surveillance would have been um, pretty much useless. And you know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, I recall the uh, you know, recently an HBO series on the, the the famous escape of two guys from Dannemora Prison in in upstate New York, uh, and how they actually not only how they cleverly um, managed to get somebody to help them escape. But how they, you know, they they survive for a while in the in the in the, in the wilds of sort of mountainous upstate New York, and I thought, well, you know, that's that's not as difficult as it may appear if you're lucky and if you're in reasonably good shape. Um, I, I would I wouldn't attempt to do it without a horse, you know. But but what do I know? <laughs> do you think the D.B. Cooper case will be solved? Do you? Uh, no, I don't. Do you? I really don't know. I I hope but if it does. It's going to be solved, Darren. You're going to do it. I don't know if so I'm going to do it. So you let me know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> do you have a favorite suspect for for Dan Cooper for DB Cooper? Nah, John List. But that was just wishful thinking. <laughs> right. He's your favorite suspect, even though you know it's not him. No, he was no, he was not. No, I I, I don't follow it. Cl- I haven't followed it closely enough to, you know, I've seen the suspects that you've uh, uh, on your. Uh, uh, on your webpage and they all look, they all look pretty good to me. You know, some of them have, have obviously been rolled out, but there's some that's like, Oh, I don't know. You know, who's yours. I really don't know. When I first heard about DB Cooper, you know, the first report or the first uh, account of it, I really looked into was pushing this guy, Kenny Christensen as, yeah. as DB Cooper. And yeah. then as I became more interested in it, it's, he wasn't as viable as a suspect as I had found out. So I've sort of learned yeah. there's all these kind of like suspect peddlers, if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you read their account, it's like, okay, that's the guy. You know, I don't know right. how many people have come up to me and said, oh, I know who D.B. Cooper is. It's Kenny Christensen or it's Robert mm-hmm. Rackstraw because they have only looked into that person's account of what happened. Right. Yeah. So, but you've got it's somewhere on that list, I think, is the guy. It's just a matter of figuring out which one of those guys. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the flight attendants are, uh, you know, I guess are are no longer. Uh, uh, well, they could be alive, but uh, they had very little information besides what we already know. Yeah, I think yeah. they've been. They're tired of being harassed by yeah. people can you imagine what it must have been like for them huh? yeah so cooper hits the ground with two bourbons in him uh which is not enough to make me jump out of an airplane but uh he, he's he's got two bourbons and it's dark and it's cold <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know if he had good shoes i hope so i'm sure he did well he boarded the plane with loafers on so <laughs> did you really yeah he did <laughs> Did he, is that after he, after the hijacking, did he still have loafers on? Yeah, he never asked for oh, boots or bad. anything. You, know, so. you can't, 
You can't go through the mountains and loafers. <laughs> I like that that's what made you change your mind. Yeah, he might have yeah, survived. Oh, no, loafers. He didn't make it. I got boots. <laughs> well, I live in the desert. I got boots. All right, Joe, is there anything we haven't covered? Uh, no. It's, uh, thank you for that. That's been a very interesting and, and uh, a fun conversation. So thanks so much. Thank you for reading the book. And thank you for triggering the John List rage back in me. It's going to take me days to come down from that, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's something yeah, that I wanted to do on the show because, like I said, you know, it's listed on the Wikipedia page and I have mm-hmm. people bring it up from time to time. And I, I just think anyone that has a real knowledge of Cooper or John List, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. not, it's not even plausible, really. Ain't John List. I wish it had been. <laughs> <laughs> if he'd had the 200000 bucks, John List, he would have spent it pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I got that yeah. from from reading your book also, that he liked <laughs> right. to live kind of above his means. He was not, he was not a frugal guy. <laughs> he just didn't have any money. <laughs> all right, Darren. It's been a great pleasure. Absolutely. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks again for coming well, on. You. If there is anywhere where people have a question for you or they want to reach you, is there somewhere they can do that? Sharkey 123 J-S-H-A-R-K-E-Y-123 at com. Perfect. Thanks again for coming on, Joe. We appreciate it. You're welcome. If you have questions or comments for Joe, you can hit him up at jsharkey123 at gmail.com or find him at his website, joesharkey.com. Make sure you pick up a copy of his book, Death Sentence, The Inside Story of the John List Murders. Is there a suspect we haven't covered yet? Or someone you think we should have on the show? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. We are The Cooper Vortex. Instagram, at The Cooper Vortex. On Twitter, at dbcooperpodcast. Or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Thank you to Joe Sharkey for taking the time to talk with me about John List and D.B. Cooper. Thank you for Russell Colbert for taking the time to listen to me talk about D.B. Cooper. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex.